Um, January 1st, a new year. And so as we get into it, I want, I want you to go in hope. I want you to go in hope. And the text we're going to look at this morning is taken from the book of Hebrews. And the book of Hebrews is very simply about a group of people, a group of Jewish Christians who are being persecuted. And because they're being persecuted, they're tempted to go back to Judaism to avoid it. They want to go back sort of to the old way of life, the old things, and that's going to keep them from being under the thumb of those who want them not to be around. So keep that in mind as we look at our text this morning from Hebrews 6. If you'll follow along in your bulletin there. I'm actually going to start in verse 13, not 11. So Hebrews 6, 13 through 20. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, you're good and you're faithful. Father, as we, as we begin a new year, we need hope. We need to be reminded that life is about you and the glory of the gospel. Lord, I need to be reminded of that. So many people, we all do in this room. And so I pray as we consider this text and as we think about it, that you would speak, Holy Spirit, to our minds and hearts, that you would write these things in our hearts and give us true hope. Not hope that's wishful thinking, but hope that is deep and profound and lasting. And we love you and we pray that you do all these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Okay, so New Year's is a time for resolutions. So I wanted to read to you a few resolutions that's taken from a list of 70 resolutions. And they begin with this preface. Being sensible that I am unable to do anything without God's help, I do humbly entreat Him by His grace to enable me to keep these resolutions, so far as they are agreeable to His will for Christ's sake. Remember to read over these resolutions once a week. Resolution number one. Resolve that I will do whatsoever I think to be most to God's glory and my own good, profit and pleasure. In the whole of my duration, without any consideration of the time, whether now or never so many myriads of ages hence, resolve to do whatever I think to be my duty and utmost for the good and advantage of mankind in general. Resolve to do this, whatever difficulties I meet with, how many and however great they are. Resolution number 25, resolve to examine carefully and constantly What that one thing in me is, which causes me in the least to doubt the love of God and to direct all my forces against it. Resolution number 56. Resolve never to give over, nor in the least to slacken my fight 
with my corruptions, however unsuccessful I may be. And I'll end with this one. It's kind of funny. Resolution number 15. Resolve never to suffer the least motions of anger to irrational beings. (laughs) These resolutions are foreign to our ears probably. They were written by a man named Jonathan Edwards when he was 19 years old. And they are profound and they're lasting. And the amazing thing is, as you hear those, you have a great sense that he has a hope that's in another world that he's living for. And it's shaping his life. It's shaping his identity. And our text this morning is about hope. It's about the hope of the gospel. And as we come in this morning, some of you in this room, you're optimistic. Things are going good. You're excited about the possibilities in 2012. And there's other of you in this room that are probably cynical. You're discouraged. You're frustrated. Maybe you're depressed. You're disappointed. Well, what's been going on in your life? And you want that to change. But whatever your situation is, you have hopes. Okay, maybe it's sort of the traditional, I'm going to exercise more. I'm going to lose weight. Or I'm going to start something new. Or I want my job to go better. I want to advance in my career. I want to do a different career. And all those things are good in themselves. They're, those aren't bad. They're fine. But if you're a Christian in this room, you have an ultimate hope. Because you believe a certain story about this world. You believe there's a God and He made the world and everything in it and He made it good. And that we have ravaged it through sin. And that Jesus Christ, who is life and death and resurrection, has come to this earth in space and time to make it right. And that what He's doing in the world through the Holy Spirit, mainly through believers, as He's making that wrong right, He's fixing what's broken, He's taking that depression, he's making it into joy in the end. And that that's the story that you believe in. Those who align themselves with Jesus, those who say, you know what, I do want to follow Christ, I want to know him, will one day share in his glory and they'll inherit eternal life. And those who say, you know what, I really, I don't believe all this stuff, I just kind of want to do my own thing and live for me, that they'll inherit eternal death. And that those facts are the most certain thing about life in this world. If you're a Christian, that's what you believe. That that story, maybe you would add a few things or take a few away, but you believe that that is the most profound, certain reality that there is in life. Period. In. And if you're a person here, if you're not a Christian, we're so glad that you're here with us. You're welcome here. And my challenge to you would be to think about these things that I'm about to say about hope. Where is that hope? Because as we look to this text, if those are the most certain things about our existence, how much joy did that give you last week? Last year? How much has that shaped your life over the holidays? How much is that hope shaping your life now? And so as we look at the text, I would think, I would think that if we're honest with ourselves and we're honest with each other, Probably not a whole lot. Maybe some, right? But is that the defining hope of our lives? Is that the thing that we're focused on, that we are passionate to see realized? Or have we made those, those good things? There's nothing wrong with wanting to advance in your career. There's nothing wrong with wanting to have a good marriage. There's nothing wrong with wanting your kids to grow up and all that great stuff. 
But have we made those things the ultimate thing? So that is where our joy is. That is where our hope is. That's what our life is fixed upon. And, and perhaps the quote of James K.A. Smith on the front of your bulletin, apparently when you're a scholar you have to use initials all the time, James K.A. Smith. On the front of your bulletin, this is what it says. Could it be the case that learning a Christian perspective doesn't actually touch my desire and that while I might be able to think about the world from a Christian perspective, at the end of the day, I love not the kingdom of God, but the kingdom of the market. In other words, I've changed that hope of salvation for the hopes in this life. And as we get into our text today, the hope he's talking about is the hope of salvation. It's the joyful anticipation of those events that I, that I recounted for you. That Jesus Christ is coming and He's coming to make all things right. He's coming to fix what's broken in you and, and broken in the world. Hope is the hope of the gospel. It's the hope that Christ is going to make all things right. That that is reality. That that reality is coming to pass. And we're trusting in that. So this morning, here's what we want to do. One is, I want, I want you to see that that hope is absolutely certain. Okay, it's certain. It's sure. Therefore, in this year and the years beyond, let's, let's organize our lives around that. Let's build on that foundation. Let's say, you know what, this is where I want to be. This is what I want to focus on. This is what I want to do with my life. It's build it on that foundation. Build it on the gospel. And then as we do that, my hope is that We'll see all those things, even the good things, they'll fade away in comparison because they're all passing away. Only Jesus remains. So let's look at our text this morning. Our hope is certain. How do we know that? Look at verses 13 through 18 again. I'm going I'm to read the text over again as we walk through this. God promised and swore to Abraham, and in that he promised and swore to us. Look at verse 13. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. One way to think about the message of the Bible is as a construction of a building. Okay, There's a blueprint. And that blueprint is being worked out in the different phases of the project. So as the building goes up, you can see more clearly what it's going to be. This place uh, up here, the new parking garage, when it was just a level piece of ground and there wasn't any concrete and there wasn't all the structure, it was like, okay, this is going to be something downtown, but we're not quite sure what it's going to be. But then you started to see it all go up and all the concrete's poured and all the whatever they're called are put in there. And you could see that it's going to be a parking lot. Okay, it's going to be a parking lot. In the same way, Scripture, God has a blueprint. and Scripture, He is working that out. Okay, he's working out redemption. He's working out salvation. That's what he's up to. And so as that salvation unfolds, you see what it's going to be in the end. As it comes together, you see more clearly exactly what that salvation looks like. 
And the beautiful thing, just like floor number two has to be sitting on floor number one. The same way, Scripture is connected. So that in an incredible way, when God makes promises to Abraham, He's making promises that apply to you. He's making promises that you can stand on. And that's exactly what the writer of Hebrews is doing this morning. So he looks to Abraham's example and God's words to Abraham to give you an encouragement. So what did God promise Abraham? He promised him land and he promised him people. He said, look, go to the land, I'll show you. And I'll make you into a great nation. Abraham obeyed and he left. And over the course of Abraham's life, God renews this promise again and again. He continues to say, look, I'm going to give you this land. I'm going to give you the land. And I'm going to give you people. Abraham had to wait 25 years for Isaac to be born. That's a long time. 25 years. And I'm sure during that time he's, during that time he's thinking, man, are you really going to come through? I've been sitting around here for a long time waiting for this promise that you gave me to come through. Don't you think he had the same kind of doubts that you do? Don't you think he had the same kind of struggles that you do? Of course he did. But then, not only did he promise, but then after the episode with Isaac, where he offers Isaac as a sacrifice, this is what it says in Genesis 22. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven. And as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Because you have obeyed my voice. So as we look back at the book of Hebrews and you think about the two unchangeable things. What are they? One, it's God's promise. But two, it's his oath. God in essence is saying, Abraham, I swear to you. I swear I'm going to do what I say. I swear that my promise will come true. That I will do what I've promised. That I will give you a great nation. And that I will make you into a great people and give you this land. Abraham doesn't have to doubt anymore. He knows for certain that's what God is going to do. Because not only did he promise, he swore it to him. And here's the beautiful part. Look at verses 17 and 18 with me again. Verse 17. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose he guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of this promise to Abraham he fulfills the plan he comes and he accomplishes what God had promised to Abraham land and people right What's Jesus doing? He's gathering a people, many of them sitting before me this morning, who are His people, who are going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky. And He's bringing them into the new heavens and the new earth. earth. That's what He's doing. That's what God's up to in this world. That's what He's doing this morning. He is fulfilling the promises that He has made. So when he speaks of descendants, he's talking about you. If you're a believer in Christ, Abraham is your father. Christ is your brother. His promise is sure. 
More than that, and this is incredible, why did God guarantee the promise with an oath? Why does it say that he did that? Did God just feel like doing that? Hey, I'm just going to guarantee this. No. What does he say? To show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise and that we might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope that is set before us. Do you understand how incredible that is? That God himself would say, you know what? Because my people are weak and because they're frail and because they're uncertain, I'm going to swear it to them. Why? So that they know, so they can be encouraged, so they can have hope in the midst of life that's not very certain and it's not very hopeful. Isn't that amazing? That's the, that's the father on the side of the pool saying, jump to me, I'll catch you. I promise. I promise I'm going to catch you. I promise. And if you're a father in this room, you know that story. It goes, takes about 10 minutes probably. And they finally will jump to you because they know you're going to catch them because you're their father. It's exactly what God's doing here. That's exactly what he's doing to those of you who know Christ this morning. He's saying, I swear to you, I will bring you home. There is a solid hope. And it's sure. It's unbelievable. So it's certain because Abraham, God swore to Abraham, and he swears to us. Second, when God makes a promise, he keeps it. Okay, just think about this in a human way, right? If you've got a friend who's very trustworthy, who keeps his promises or keeps her promises, and they say, look, I'm going to be there at 8, they're pretty much going to be there at 8. You know, unless these extenuating circumstances come into play, they're going to do what they say because they're trustworthy. You know their character. Listen, God has never broken a promise in his existence, ever. Never. So when, like... You apologize because you broke your promise because you had something else come up and you couldn't do what you said, or, and we've all done that. When you apologize to the person, they can kind of say, yeah, I get it, I've done that too. But God can't. God doesn't have that category in his thinking. He can't say, yeah, I understand, because he's never done it. He's never, ever broken a promise that he's made. God's character gives us assurance Gives us hope. So God swears to Abraham. God shows us his character. And then look at verses 19 and 20. Jesus is our forerunner and high priest. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. Where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. Having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And listen to this. So Jesus is a forerunner and a high priest. Listen to what Lewis Talbot says about the term forerunner. I think this is pretty amazing. The Greek harbors were often cut off from the sea by sandbars, over which the larger ships dared not pass till the full tide came in. Therefore, a lighter vessel, a forerunner, took the anchor and dropped it in the harbor. From that moment, the ship was safe from the storm, although it had to wait for the tide before it could enter the harbor. The entrance of the small vessel into the harbor, the forerunner carrying the ship's anchor, was the pledge that the ship would safely enter the harbor when the tide was full. And because Christ, our forerunner, has entered heaven itself, having torn asunder everything that separates the redeemed sinner from the very presence of God, he himself is the pledge that we too shall one day 
enter the harbor of our souls in the very presence of God in the new Jerusalem. More than God's promises, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, your big brother, has shed his own blood so that your hope could be certain. He's willing to die to give you life to make that hope sure. Not only has God promised, not only has God sworn, He's bled for you. And if somebody who's died for you, if they've died to give you life, if they've bled for you, don't you think they're going to bring you home? Don't you think at least that they're that faithful? So in all these ways, if God himself is for us, who can be against us? As Romans says, right? And in all these ways, it's more than certain, it's abundantly clear that our hope is sure, that it's steadfast, that it's not something you have to be uncertain of. It's there, it's true, it's real. And it'll be with you to the end. So if that's the case, let's organize our lives around that hope. Okay, let's organize our lives around that hope. Verses 19 and 20 again, it says, it speaks of the anchor of the soul. And I don't even think I have to prove this, but we need an anchor for our souls. Right? And what does it say? It says our hope is that anchor that's lodged in the character of God and gives security and stability to our souls. That is the hope. That is our anchor. It's our hope in Christ. Why do we need an anchor? Well, think about it this way. Why does a ship need an anchor? Okay, because if it's just sitting out there in the ocean, there are all kinds of currents, all kinds of tides and winds, and they come in and they bear down on that ship. So if it's not anchored to something solid, it's going all over the place. It's going where it doesn't want to go. It's, it's crashing against the rocks. It's broken apart. Very same way. If you're a believer in this room, there are all kinds of fears and doubts and struggles that I'm sure you're thinking about right now as I'm talking to you this morning. And you're thinking, hey, is that hope really for me? Is it sure? Is it steadfast? Can I trust it? You come in here and you're discouraged or you're depressed or you're suffering or you're sick or you're tempted. Or maybe you think, hey, God's not really come through for me, Matt. It's not really... You know, I believed all this and he didn't really come through and now I just don't know if I believe any of this anymore. Jesus is available for the tempted and the tried. And there are all kinds of things that want, not only the sin in your heart or the fears or the doubts of the words, but life is uncertain. Right? It's, it is. It's, it's not sure. But Christ is sure. I love the way the Jesus Storybook Bible, it's great for kids, um, describes God's love. A never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. And listen, every other hope will fail you. Okay? Maybe you get passed over for that promotion you want. You'll go out and eat a king-size snicker bar and fall off the diet wagon. Right? Life is so fleeting. It's short. We could go outside and get killed today. Who knows? 
I had a I had a very famous um, professor when I was in seminary, and he just said, "Guys, look, certainty is an illusion. You live your life, you know. I don't think when I walk out this door in a few minutes that like a a plane's going to hit me or something, but." That's like a 99.999% chance, right? There is a small chance that that could actually happen. Nothing's dead certain. Even the things that we take for granted that we think are silly, like that example I just gave. It's not 100%. We live our lives based on uncertainty, and life is uncertain. But Christ is certain. He's sure. And if you're a teenager in this room, and I talk to you guys all the time, so you've heard some of this. But, like, if you think that boyfriend or girlfriend that you, like, love and want to be with is going to be sure, they're not. Okay, they're not going to be certain. If you think getting on the baseball team or being the starting quarterback or whatever it is, getting into that college you really have to get into is going to give you lasting, certain hope. It won't. And are all those things good? Of course they're good. They're fine. But as an ultimate hope, they fail. And if you're a kid this morning, if you think getting your way, getting a toy from brother or sister, or doing stuff that mom and dad won't let you do, is going to be what you want it to be, it's not. You'll find that mom and dad made those rules for a reason. And it was a good one. It's a good one. If you're not a believer this morning, same thing applies. Those same things I said, they won't satisfy. They're not certain. They're not sure. They won't give you life. And listen, we're all prone to this. I myself am prone to it. A couple weeks ago, um, I had a headache, and I was like, man, I've had this headache for like three days, and I don't get headaches, and so I'm like, man, this is something serious. And all of a sudden, I I mean, I was rattled by it. I'm thinking, okay, do I really believe all this stuff? Do I really think it's true? Do I really think, Jesus, that you're going to be there? And I think we all deal with that. I think whatever it is that you're struggling with, it could be depression, it could be fear, it could, whatever it is. Jesus is a certain hope. Finally, when I say organize your life around this, I could give you a zillion examples of what that might look like, what it could be in your life. Um, but things don't just happen. Okay, you don't wake up and... You know what? I found two hours to read my Bible today. Most of the time that doesn't happen. Your life is filled with all kinds of stuff. We've got to be intentional about doing that. You have to be intentional about organizing your life around Christ. And I, you know, if we believe that Jesus has saved us by mercy alone, and He is the surest hope that there is, let's be intentional about nailing that down and digging down deep into Christ, anchoring ourselves ever more deeply in who He is and not just letting life go by. We've got to be diligent to organize our lives because other stuff's going to come. Things don't just happen. 
takes planning. It takes saying, okay, Lord, what do, you, what do you want to change in me? And I think the one thing I would say to you, rather than saying, here are a ton of examples of what that might look like, go home and pray about it. Go home and get before the Lord and say, Lord, where in my life do you want to work this year? What do you want to do in me? And then make a plan of like, this is how I feel like God could do this. And say, Lord, give me the strength to do this. Give me the grace by the Spirit to actually implement these things in my life. Okay, sometimes we think, I think we think growth is like magical. And it's mysterious, it is. Okay, but normally if you pray and you read Scripture and you're a part of the body of Christ, you're going to be stronger than if you don't. And I can't explain to you up here how that happens exactly, but those are the means that God's given us to grow. Those are the means that God's given us to grow roots, to be anchored, to grow in Jesus. So that's my challenge. Think about what's that one place where God wants to work in your life this year? You know what? And you're you're probably going to fail at the plan, right? And we're saved by grace. So then you just say, Lord, I know I'm redeemed by grace. And I blew this plan that I made up. But you know what? I want to keep walking. I didn't read my Bible for the last nine days, but you know what? Here's day ten. Let's, let's get on it. Because God is at work in your life. He is at work in you to redeem and to save. Who knows what this year will bring? Joy, pain, comfort, sorrow, great success, great failure. Jesus Christ is the only certain hope. He's the only faithful hope. He's the only one that will last. I end with the words of this great hymn. How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in His excellent word. What more can He say than to you He has said, to you who for refuge to Jesus have fled? The soul that on Jesus has leaned for repose... I will not, I will not desert to his foes. That soul, though hell, should endeavor to shake. I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. That's the promise of the gospel. Is that your hope? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are good, you are certain, you are sure. And I pray in my own heart and the hearts and lives of, of all these people in this room, that you would make that ever more sure and ever more certain. And those who don't know you, would you draw them to yourself? Would you redeem them and open their eyes to see that you are the only stable thing in this world? You are the only hope. And for those of us who are believers, encourage us, grow us, challenge us to remember your grace and your love, to seek to organize our lives around the gospel. You're the anchor. Keep us firm, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.